You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 48. Welcome to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Hello, 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 my friends, and welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. It is a pleasure to have you back. Missed a week or so, just dealing with some things, you know, with quarantine, the COVID, the corona, was went out boogie boarding on a legally opened beach, I might add, and uh, definitely smashed my face on the bottom of the ocean, which was super awesome. I'm very amazed that I did not suffer some sort of broken back paralysis out of the entire thing and came out of it with just some uh, minor nerve damage to both my arms and, you know, contusions to the face and lacerations to the mouth and, you know, just the just the usual calamity. And it got me to thinking about how so much about life um, is uncertain. And, you know, when people start talking about the new normal and will schools open up in the future and when will we get back to, the you know, open campuses and live events and sporting and concerts and all of this stuff. And, and I just want you to really be mindful of uh, catching yourself in that 24-hour news cycle, in some cases the 24-minute news cycle, where it's just people you know, constantly future pacing and future pacing about what may or may not happen and how everything's going to look. And, and just being mindful that there are so many uncertainties you know, you go to the beach and you're expecting to have a great day and you end up on a backboard in the back of an ambulance and eight hours in an emergency room getting CAT scans and MRIs and so many x-rays that I'm pretty sure I definitely have radiation poisoning. <laughs> Joking. Um, definitely don't have radiation poisoning. I certainly have really good insurance and I'm blessed for that. Um if there's a lesson to be learned as you uh, age yourself out of your parents' health care um, system and have to figure out your own after the age of 26, I highly recommend that you um, do that because uh, nothing will destroy your credit faster than a $10,000 hospital bill because you got yourself in a, bit, in a spot of bother and you didn't have the insurance to take care of that. And uh, I'm definitely planning an upcoming episode on credit score and how important that is. Uh, might even be bringing on uh, an expert in that field as far as like financial preparedness, um, some things that would help you, you know, as far as like understanding maybe a Roth IRA where you can put $5,000 a year into it and it, you can get it out when you're older, much older, but it, you know, it's tax free and stuff. Cause these are things that I wish I'd have done. And it's hard when you're, you know, when you're 18 to 24, or just getting out of college and you're getting your first job to think about putting away up to $5,000 a year, but there's certainly benefits that can be paid, um, toward you when if you think that far ahead right and you know you, you can't necessarily see yourself smashing your face at the, on the bottom of the ocean and the aftermath that's going to create in your life but you can prepare for these uncertainties for these calamities for these catastrophes that can happen in your life so that you can recover and heal from them faster being able to go and, and see a doctor and know that I have 
$50 was my deductible for the entire thing. And I bet you my bill will come out to close to 10 grand. Not having to deal with a $10,000 bill is certainly helping my healing because I'm not emotionally stressed out about how I'm going to be able to pay that off and get myself into a payment plan where every week I send the hospital $25 until I'm 117, right? And so there, there's no excuses anymore for not knowing about things. You know, you don't have to know everything in life. That's ridiculous. We're not the internet. Our brains, you know, we're, we can't know every single little bit of information that is out there. I'm actually watching a show on Amazon Prime right now called The Feed, where it's like everybody is connected to one another and connected to the internet. So you basically can know anything at any point in time. Um, And being that we're in the information age and you can know anything at any point in time, for the most part, you know, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, Woodsville, then maybe you don't have access to the internet. So you can't Google when, you know, World War II ended or why the Vietnam War was started. But you... um certainly are generally in a place where you can find out at the touch of a button any information that you want. And so now cognitive thinking skills and the ability to conceptualize and see how everything is interconnected and, you know, and how um, a science field can connect to a math field, which can connect to a computer, computer science field, which can connect to a psychology field. And being able to see things from a much wider perspective is going to be the skills that you need to enhance about yourself as you move through middle school, high school, college, and out into the working world and eventually build a family of your own and a mortgage and a car payment and all of this stuff, right? Like, I know I'm future pacing a bit for you right there. And I just got done told and you don't listen to the news channels um, that want you to do that. In previous episodes, um, what's key when I start talking about your finances and your mental state and your ability to, to take in vast amounts of knowledge and be able to conceptualize it and use your cognitive thinking skills, is just that you're living in a time where you can't say, well, I didn't know about that. Like, again, you can't know everything. But for the most part, you've been introduced to a myriad of subjects in your entire life. And you're only going to be introduced to more and more and more and more. I was reading a book the other day. I'm going to be doing a lot of excerpts out of this book, and Jim Quick's Limitless. Um, I talked about him on the show a couple episodes ago. Um, absolutely love this guy. I'm, I'm working very diligently to get him on the show, and I will continue to talk about him in hopes that the energy of the universe attracts him to um, you guys for me. And if not, you can go listen to Jim Quick's um, um, Quick Brain podcast. I, it's one of my favorites. I highly recommend it. Um, the dude, his book Limitless is seriously awesome, and it will open your mind to a whole new array of thinking. Um, when I was reading it, I really thought about so many different things that I can cover in my next book. Um, speaking of the book, College Success Habits is coming out next Thursday, and I'll go over that a little bit more at the end of the episode. But to stay on this train of thought that we're doing right now, when you start thinking about conceptualizing and cognitive thinking and being able to see down the line where, you know, having a savings account, having a financial plan in place, realizing that, you know, this FOMO YOLO that might be overtaking our society and has been for some time where you fear of missing out. So you go off and spend money that you don't have and you put yourself in debt because you only live once. My argument the other way is, you know, what, what about the, I call it the JMO, it's FOMO and JMO, it's the joy of missing out, JOMO. 
You know, there's the joy of missing out on the biggest party. There's the joy of not going to that one event everyone swears is the next greatest thing. And in three weeks, no one even remembers going to it. But meanwhile, you stayed at home and took care of something that was a priority to you. Right? What's a priority to you? You know, you only live once. Yeah. So maybe you shouldn't go out and get fucking hammered every single time the opportunity arises and you should stay at home and do a little bit more studying and and take care of stuff. And I do apologize for the F-bomb right there because I I have been promoting the show to middle school and high schoolers um, and I won't be able to go out and bleep that out, but I will certainly be more mindful of my language moving forward. That being said, um, it is important that you realize that taking on this. I only live once, so I'm not going to miss out on anything that arrives. So I'm going to, you know, chase after my friends no matter what insanity they get themselves into. Isn't a long-term strategy that is going to show uh, benefits for you. It's very important that you are doing the things that you want to do. And it's tough. It's very, very, very tough if you look back, depending on where in your your life's journey you're, you're listening to my episode, um, if you're in middle school, you're just now beginning to understand emotions. You're just beginning to, to see members of um, the opposite sex, whatever. I don't, definitely do not want to get into a conversation about sexuality right now. Um, whatever you're attracted to, you whomever you're attracted to, However that works out for you, you're starting to feel that. You're starting to understand that there's emotions that come into play when you're dealing with your friends and your teachers and the adults around you, right? When you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth grader, you're sort of just along for the ride. You know, you don't really understand your emotions. You throw a temper tantrum when you don't get a candy bar. You get upset whenever you don't get to play video games and you have to study. You know, you're just, you're sort of, you're very animalistic, almost reptilian brain. Um, there's three sets of the brain. There's a reptilian that's the front. It's the one that has lack of emotional control. Then there's the mammalian that's in the middle. That's when you begin to use your cognitive thinking skills. And then there's the, 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 the further back one. And I forget what that one's called, but it's basically whenever you reach adulthood and you're able to um, conceptualize your life and you're able to see the bigger picture and control your emotions more effectively and you're more grounded and centered. And I will definitely not get into that right now, but that is a really good idea for a future episode. When you work your way through middle school on the emotions, if hopefully you had parents that were willing to guide you through that process um, and and knew how to do it, um, my therapist talks to me a lot about how she's blessed that she's got a psychology background because she's been able to help her daughter really move through the process of emotional growth. Uh, in middle school. Now her daughter's in high school, and this is where the brain really starts to take over. Classes are a bit harder. If you want to achieve more, you can push yourself by taking, you know, um, the uh, accelerated classes. You can even start taking college courses in high school to be better prepared for that stage of your life. Um, You know, once you move through this middle school, high school, which is just like a zoo of hormones and emotions and of all of this thinking that you've never been exposed to before, you find yourself conforming so that you don't get rejected by the herd. 
which could cause you to bully others in front of your friends because that's what they do and, and that that's what gets them to laugh and that's what gets you included in their activities. You can find yourself turning your back on things that you really are passionate about. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you really like sports, but all your friends are into theater, so you're turning your back on something you really want to do so that you don't upset your friend circle. Not realizing there's another friend circle out there that could be just as into what you're into if you're just willing to, you know, cultivate that courage inside of you and decisively say, this is what I want to do, right? You know, for a lot of you, you're already in college and you're looking back and maybe you're starting to see within yourself how you conformed and you didn't want to, um, how you conformed and you thought you wanted to, but now you're in college and you realize none of that crap matter. None of those things matter anymore. You may not even be friends with the majority of the people that you once were friends with. So when we discuss conceptual and cognitive thinking, we're looking at it on a scale that you have set down habits about how you were going to behave in that manner since you were a child. And if you weren't being mindful of these things through middle school and high school, you're now dealing with this as a young adult. And you're trying to move through all of this at the same time that, you know, whether your senior year was just destroyed because of Corona or your senior or your graduation in college was just destroyed because of Corona or your freshman year was just destroyed because of Corona. So many people have had themselves upended because of this. And if you're linear, if you're thinking about everything in a very linear dynamic where everything's just straightforward, Right, you're, then you're currently looking at ways that you can make your situation better because you are facing problems right now. Right now, you can't go into a classroom like normal. You can't sit in front of the computer um, and just toil away because now you're stuck at home and all your family members are constantly around and they're, they're giving you all of these inputs and you're not prepared for them. And it's so much for you to take in. What you were used to is no longer what you're used to now. But if you look past the linear way of thinking and look at it more of a conceptual, the bigger picture kind of way of thinking, you're able to pick up new skills during this that will greatly benefit you down the road. Whatever your situation is, whether it's getting used to being back home and you've been away at college for a few years, or again, if you're in middle school or high school and you're used to always being around your friends um, and now you've found my podcast or now you're starting to adventure off into other methods of learning that you weren't previously exposed to because you didn't necessarily have the time, which is just another word for the prior prioritization skill of, of picking these things up, right? I think everybody has enough time. I think what we don't, what we lack is a prioritization method, right? If you, if you say, oh, I don't have time for that, what you're really saying is, I've already prioritized something more important to me over what you've just offered me, so I don't have time for that. What you really don't have is the opportunity to prioritize it over things that already mean something to you. But if you're a pushover and you're trying to not upset the herd and you're trying to you know stay within that friendship circle and you don't want to, you know, show anybody that you're talking to someone in school who's not as popular or not as good looking or whatever it might be, right? If you're, if you're trying to follow that herd mentality, then you're not using your own thinking skills. You're not stepping into the true you. And if the true you is really being rude to some random person just because they don't look like you, sound like you, feel things the way you do, they don't have the same perspective as you, then that's just a limited way of thinking right off the bat, Right? 
Right? If you have a if you have the idea that you know walk a mile in everybody's shoes, respect every other person's model of the world, how they see the world. If you can if you can take on that thinking hat for a moment, then you can really begin to conceptualize this entire Corona quarantine as an opportunity to pick up amazing new um, skills, whether it be, you know, how you stay physically active, how you stay emotionally centered, how you keep up with your mental acuity, how you stay spiritually grounded. And when I say spiritual, I've talked about this before, it's more about your integrity, your humility, your gratitude, your morals, your ethics, your values. Spirituality doesn't have to be tied to religion. Humans have just done that in order to teach people how to live a, a quote-unquote outstanding, upstanding life, you know, as far as being a citizen who takes care of other people and, and does their part to keep the, the, the tribe moving forward. We tied that to religion to guilt people into just being a good person. You shouldn't have to be guilted into being a good person. You should just see the benefits that if you're good to others, at some point you're going to be in a, in a spot where you need people to be good toward you and you'll exude that energy that says, I have been good and other people will begin to pay it forward and be good toward you. If you're constantly rude to strangers and then you wonder why strangers, when you ask them for help, are rude back, it's because you've set that precedent in your own energy. And then when you go to ask for help in the way that you the, the tone you use in, in, the, in the way your voice sounds and in, in the way your body language presents yourself to people, they immediately have a negative energy towards you. And you're like, I, I don't understand. Why won't this person help me? Well, it's because you give off the air of somebody who has not been very helpful in the past, right? Maybe you're entitled and you think everyone should just help me because I need help. You know, uh, an emergency on your, an emergency in your life does not necessarily mean it's an emergency in my life, right? When you run up to the, to the manager at a restaurant or the help desk at a hotel, and you're like, oh my God, this just happened, and I need you to care about it as much as I care about it, and I need you to do it right now, <laughs> right? Like, a lack of planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on mine. One bad moment in your life doesn't mean my entire life now needs to shift for yours, this is what we talk about when we discuss emotional balance in our lives. So take this opportunity to begin to see a much, much bigger picture here. When you watch the news, they're very linear, right? They're, they're worrying about problems that are happening now. They want to complain about the things that are happening right now. My mind is still thinking about how I use the F word at the beginning of this show and how I may have turned off a mom who's listening to this episode with their 13-year-old sitting next to them as they drive down the street and how I would really hate to offend somebody with one word and then they turned the show off, right? Like there's all of this linear way of thinking. But if you look at it from a conceptual standpoint, the news isn't trying to answer your questions. They're trying to scare you so that you stay watching the show because you're so freaked out that you now require these people to tell you how to think. No one gets to tell you how to think unless you give them the power to tell you how to think. I don't watch the news because whatever they're yammering on about, they're probably going to change their opinion the next day just to get me to keep paying attention. So I don't have time for all that. I get the LA Times. I, I hop on it every day on my iPad. I flip through. I look for articles that might say something to speak to me that might be something I need to read. I skim it. I look for some helpful information. But for the most part, I'm like, you know what? If it matters enough, it, it, it'll come back around to me. 
if I use a profane word in this episode or from a stage or in an interaction with someone, it certainly is not the first time that they've heard a profane word. Unless you're like a four-year-old who lives in a nunnery, there's a very good chance by the time you're five, six, seven, eight, you heard all the cuss words. You certainly can hear them on the internet now. Back when I was going into high school and got into college in the mid-90s, you know, you could not have access to the amount of information or um, adult material or profane profanity in the level that it is. I mean, you can't even watch a movie without, I'm sure you probably can't even watch, you know, a PG-13 movie without hearing profanity anymore, uh, let alone seeing some sort of adult content. You know, back in the mid-90s and anything previous to the internet, boy, I'll tell you what, you, you could really manage that kind of stuff. But you can't really, it's harder to manage that now. And by the time a kid born in 2010 made it to 10 years old this year, they've probably seen way more crazy stuff than I ever had seen by the time I was 10. Going back to the Jim Quick book that I mentioned earlier, as I think I started referencing something out of that, and then I moved on from it, is that he, there was a he spoke about a report. Um, he references something in the book that says that all of human knowledge that had been created prior to t- 2003, we have now created like ten times, twenty times more of that since 2003, and it's something to the effect that we create more human knowledge now and more ways to access human knowledge in a year than we had previously done, you know, leading up to the revolutionary, um, to the uh, Industrial Revolution. I mean, you think about that. Of all of life that had been accumulated on this planet by the, the 1900s, and now we can, in one year, we can create just as much information in one year as, we, as it took all of humanity <laughs> to create the knowledge that it had done previous 10,000 years. You know, the Library of Alexandria that, you know, people often talk about and the kind of knowledge that that must have held. And then, you know, it got burnt down, I think, by Visigoths or something like that, you know, storming into to the Middle East. You think about how much knowledge we lost there. It's like nowadays a normal library in Nowheresville, you know, Indiana, can have just as much information as that once revered library ever held. We don't know what was in there, but we can assume there was a ton of information. And now we got normal libraries that have a plethora of information. And that's just a normal library in a small town. There's 10,000 of those things. So I bring all of this up so you can start to conceptualize how it is you see the world. And I'm going to wrap up this episode and discuss some learning styles that we're going to touch upon further down the road. But when I was reading the Limitless book yesterday, it reminded me of the three learning styles. And there's so many. Um, Whenever my book comes out, I wrote it in a why, what, how, what if format because the uh, four of the learning styles that exist are people who are why learners who want to know why something's important, who want to know why uh, this information is relevant in their lives, want to know why it's going to be important that they actually learn it. This is one of the things that many math teachers skip over in college. If you're not a mathy person and you don't think you're going to get into a field that's going to require you to know Pythagoras' theorem, then you don't really pay attention and you just struggle. 
So if you're a why learner, you want to understand why something's important. If you're a what learner, you want to know what the information is. What's the history? What is the way that this information is going to fit into your life? If you're a how learner, you want to get your hands dirty. You want to experience it. You want to go on a field trip. You want to, you want to, somebody's trying to show you how to bake a cake. You don't want them to just tell you what is, what's in the cake. You want them to let you put everything in a bowl and mix it together. And if you're a what if learner, you're constantly future pacing and asking, well, what if this were to happen? What if, you know, what if while I'm trying to bake the cake, the oven goes out? What if I can't see the numbers on the dial on the stove and I'm trying to guess at what 350 is? What if I don't have an egg? Is there something I can replace it with? So those why, what, how, what if are for learning styles that I have. Um, that's how I teach things in my classes and workshops and seminars. And that's how I organize my speeches. Another way of learning is um, whether you're a visual learner, whether you're an auditory, an audio learner, you hear things, or whether you're kinesthetic, which is another word for the how learner, meaning that you want to feel it, you want to touch it, you want to get into it, right? So if you're a visual learner, then you learn, um, now you can be all three, but there tends to be one that you really uh, harness a lot more of your power from, um, I'm definitely an auditory and visual learner, um, but when it, like I, I bartended for years, when somebody goes to show me a new drink or whatever, they can tell me the ingredients. I don't even need to know the measurements of it because I just based off of how I know bartending works, whether it's a cordial, whether it's a mixer, whether it's um, you know an additive that gives it an almond flavor, or whether it's the the hard alcohol that's in the drink, I pretty much have an idea of the exact measurements just based off of my experience. So somebody could say, okay, well, this is what's in, you know, this drink. And uh, I can't really remember what maybe, maybe like, like a cosmopolitan vodka, cranberry juice, a little bit of lime. And uh, I think there might be some triple sec in it. Yeah. Right. But based off of that knowledge, I know that it's usually about an ounce to an ounce and a half of vodka, about about a quarter to half an ounce of the triple sec. And then it's about a quarter ounce of the quarter ounce to half an ounce of cranberry juice. And then generally just a little splash of lime juice just because I've made that so many times. So if somebody were to say, these are the ingredients, I'm like, great. I'd just pick it up and I would start making it. So I'm very much a, a kinesthetic um, doer. That's how I really f- get that information and stick it in my head. Um, if somebody shows me how to, to make it, that won't really help me. I Visually, I, yeah, great. I just watched you do it, but that's not me doing it. So just tell me the ingredients and let me do it. So if you think about whether you're a visual learner, an audio learner, or a, or a kinesthetic learner, start looking back at the ways that you best take in information and really solidify it in your head. Right. If you were getting a job at a grocery store and somebody was going to tell you, okay, well, you're going to restock soups. You know, do you just need to walk down the aisle and see where all the soups are? You see all the cans are front facing. You see that the smaller ones are at the bottom and the and the and, the, and it moves up sizes as you get higher. Like, do you visually notice that stuff, or does somebody have to tell you those things? Somebody have to exp- explain to you, this is how you put the soup can up, and this is why the labels are facing forward, and this is why we put the heavier cans at the bottom or in the lighter cans at the top, or vice versa. Like, is that how you would learn that? Or would you learn it better if they just said, okay, let's go out here. Okay, here's the soup. Start putting it on the shelves. And then you would just start to do it, and then they would just correct you as you went along. 
you know, when you're in a classroom, do you do better whenever you're reading out of the book, whenever the teacher's got a lot of things that they write on the board, whenever you've got a lot of handouts that you can read, or do you do better whenever you just hear somebody, people talking about it, and then you go off with your classmates and you begin to talk about the material? Is that how you better learn it? Or, you know, kinesthetic, meaning that you need to actually be in the process of doing it. Um, kinesthetic learners are often the ones who you see in the classrooms who still write their notes. You shouldn't be using a computer to take notes in period. Um, it's just you don't you don't normally um, record. You're, you're not the information isn't coming into you. It's just sort of like you hear it and you're typing it almost verbatim. So you're not really conceptualizing the information. You're just a conduit. It, you, your ears literally hear it and your fingers literally type it, and then you have to go back through it and then teach it to yourself. Right, So a visual learner might be able to, to uh, watch a video and immediately pick up on what the information was. An auditory learner would, might be listening to a ton of podcasts, audiobooks, and have no problem taking on the information there. Um, a kinesthetic learner would like a book, would like something in their hand, something that they can feel, a pen in their hand. It gives them the knowledge that they're learning it. Because they're feeling the paper, they're feeling the pen, they're feeling their hand move across, their eyes are scanning it, they're reading it in order to take it in, right? So you're a kinesthetic and visual learner. So you see how there's no real, oh, well, if you're doing this, then you're always this. Because when you take notes, you're still going to go back and read those things over. Now, when you read them, do you read them out loud or do you read them in your head? Right? There's so many different levels of this, it's just generally a good idea for you to be able to understand, am I a why, what, how, what if learner, and then tying that over to visual, auditory, kinesthetic. Because if somebody's going to tell you the why something's important, do you want to hear them say it? Do you want to read it off of a piece of paper? Are you you better off um, standing up in the back of the classroom so that you're not sitting and that you're not stationary, that you have more movement? When I go to seminars and workshops, I almost always am standing up. I'm standing up and pacing back and forth in front of my desk here in my room as I shoot this podcast. I don't like to be sitting down when I do these. I like the energy of of my body moving. I like being able to, to, to walk past my mirror and lock eyes with myself. It brings me back into the moment if I find my mind is straying about the thing I might say in a minute. Right, So I like the kinesthetic of being able to move around, and classrooms aren't generally a good place for that. No one really wants you pacing back and forth in the back of a classroom, which is unfortunate. I think that there should be more stand-up desks in classrooms, because I think that the sitting process causes us to slouch. And if you look at your posture, I mean, think about it. Sit down in a chair, slouch forward with your, with your shoulders rolled in, and then start taking some notes. Take that pen out of your hand and just sit there, slouch forward like that. It's a the state that that brings out is almost like a depressed, like your head's hunkered down, your shoulders are rolled forward, you're, you're pinching your diaphragm off so you're not able to take in full breaths. Like that's a depressing body state to have yourself in. Physiology dictates that when you're in that position, you're probably not very happy. Yet that's the position that many of us are taking notes in and that we're sitting in class and that's how we're behaving. So, I'm going to wrap that up because I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about conceptual thinking so that you see the bigger picture here with the Corona quarantine. And for those of you who are listening to this in the archives, we're, you know, we're how much ever time passed that, but, you know, go back and think about, you know, just the linear way that people were talking about this rather than, you know, thinking, um, 
you know, 3D style where they could see how everything's interconnected. And we're certainly seeing the interconnectivity of the world and of societies and of our financial market with our emotional state and, you know, the activity that we used to take for granted and how that's been taken away and how most people don't even necessarily care if, you know, the the Hobby Lobbies or the GameStops of the world open up. They just want to be able to go to the beach and sit down and not be told that that's not allowed. They want to be able to go to a park and have a picnic with their family and not freak out when somebody when another family walks by them, you know, 11 feet away. So I conceptualize what's happening in your life and see it instead of linear lin, linearly would be like uh, I'm hungry. So then the next step would be walking to the fridge and then the next step would be opening the fridge and the next step would be finding something to eat. And you you see how that's linear? It's like each you're just you're just taking one step after the other. Right. Whereas somebody who can conceptualize hunger might be more like, okay, well, I'm hungry, but why am I hungry? What What is the bigger picture around my hunger? Perhaps it's because I'm, I'm eating too much sugary foods. So even though I ate an hour ago, I'm still hungry because I gave myself empty calories. Right. Maybe you know, somebody who can conceptualize um, their hunger might be able to start see way, seeing ways in, in which they could, you know, get food into their system in a more efficient manner so they're not constantly having to walk to the fridge, right? How they've already got something prepared and it can be sitting on the cabinet waiting, right? You're just, you see things from much more than just one step after the other. You're, you're, you're starting to see that there are opportunities in certain, in certain situations where you can bypass that step-by-step mentality and begin to, to see it where you can actually go and jump over certain steps, because you've already taken care of them previously or you realize that they're redundant. Being able to see the world in a very 3D-esque way moving forward as we go from the information age to the cognitive thinking age, I'm telling you, conceptual cognitive thinking is the next age because when the entire you know, modern world has access to every, every single little piece of information that you have, then all of a sudden knowing everything isn't really as special as it once was. Now it's being able to take all of that stuff and turn it into brand new thoughts, brand new feelings, actions, and, and giving yourself results that never had been you know, perceived as possible previously. That's why I love doing this podcast, coming up with these topics and, and delving into the depths of all of these different learning styles or thinking hats or you know, reading a book like Limitless or writing my book. There's so many different hats you have to put on in order to accomplish that. You teach yourself so many new things, and now these become skills that you have that you don't even know one day are going to pay off. When I got out of college, I remember thinking, man, college has not prepared me for anything. My first jobs and, and, and the things I did in Los Angeles, I'm like, how is anything I learned at University of Florida, Ball State, or Valencia helping me right now? And as I got deeper into my 30s and more into doing podcasting and coaching and speaking, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, I took like five public speaking classes in college. And I took uh, computer science classes and Photoshop and design and editing and journalism writing. And it's like, wow, wait, I am very well-rounded, especially whenever people see me do things that I think are effortless for me. But they're like, wow, how do you know how to do that? And I'm like, wow, you know, I just, I've been doing it for 20 years. I never thought it was special. That's cognitive thinking. That's conceptualizing. That's seeing how a journalism skill, a photo editing 
class, a photojournalism class, are paying dividends now in my life as a public speaker, as, as a podcaster, as an author, as a coach. I taught myself MailChimp yesterday in about eight hours. This is a software that, while it's a bit intuitive, it's not all that easy to figure out. But I've built a ton of websites in my day. So getting on their interface and seeing how you can add things to a template and how and, you know if you've ever used Canva how you can add things you know if you you've no doubt used these different software platforms that allow you to add these little blocks so one's an image and one's text and one's a heading and you know one's a, a code or one's a button right well that's exactly how MailChimp's interface works it basically was like building a web page and in very many cases I did build a landing page for the book Right, And I was able to figure all this out. It took eight hours. The intricacies of the software and figuring out where things were took most of the time. Building the landing page for the book took me 30 minutes. took me more time getting the pictures uh, the right size and making sure that they were, they were ready for the blocks they were going into. That took longer than the actual designing of it. The book comes out next Thursday. I'm super pumped. May 21st. If you're listening to this in the archives, then by all means, you can go over to Amazon. You can type in college success habits. I'll pop right up. You can type in college success. You can type in Jesse Mogul. Pop right up. You can go to jessemogul.com. And in the menu, you can click on college success habits and a drop down will come out for book. You can go over there. I run a lot of specials through my website for the book. So sometimes I'll, you know, it's 15 bucks for the paperback and, um, not sure how much we're selling the digital for somewhere around 10 mostly, I think maybe a little bit less, but I'll be running specials through my website at jessemogul.com. So you guys can jump over there. Um, once the book goes live, um, I'll be, uh, doing some blogging and stuff about it on my Facebook college success habits page. Um, so, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, all of that stuff will really start to ramp up once the book goes live and I'm able to start putting some of this stuff into action that I've been thinking about. You know, obviously my college speaking tour got canceled and a lot of the podcast interviews I had lined up got canceled because everybody left campus. And so now people aren't as easy to find, get a hold of, or otherwise just they don't, they got enough on their plate. They don't need to be dealing with interviews. So a lot about this show has changed because of the Corona quarantine. But at the same time, I may be able to sit here and talk to you about, you know, visual auditory kinesthetic learning styles or why, what, how, what if. Life doesn't stop. Just the way that it was going slowed down or changed. And some point down the line, we'll turn around a year, two, three down the road, and this whole 2020 quarantine business will be but a distant memory. I don't know how old you are right now, but when 9-11 happened back in 2001, many people thought this country was just going to be obsessed about that for the rest of our lives. And now it's just a faded memory. People barely pay attention to it when September 11th rolls around, let alone talk about it any point other time of the year. The aftermath and the, the choices our country has made on the political and the war front have certainly, um, their influence is still being felt on society. But us as people on a day-to-day, you know, moving around the world, it's not like we're normally thinking about that, right? It's very linear. We're not seeing the, we're not seeing the conceptual of it in the fact that so many of our freedoms that we had pre 9-11 have changed. It's just became the new normal. And I hate the new normal idea because of what is normal, but at the same time, it just sort of became the new routine, 
right? I, I like that word better. It's the new routine over the new normal. Well, we've got a new routine during the quarantine. And, and when we come out of the quarantine, we'll establish another routine. And then a year, two, three from now, we'll have a whole nother routine. But how you learn, these things are extremely important because it will add to you. Knowledge isn't power. It is the execution of the knowledge into your life that is the power. It is the using of the knowledge that, be, that, that gives you the power. And it's extremely important that regardless of what age I'm finding you at, whether it's 10 or 82, that you realize that you can always be learning things new and you can be, always be perspective shifting, meaning that you see it from somebody else's perspective or you see it within yourself from just a different perspective because you just to say, you know what, instead of seeing it this one linear way, I'm now going to be able to look at this subject matter, this topic, this article, this moment in my life conceptually. I'm going to be able to see it from all of the angles. And right now in my room, I'm doing this thing where I'm just rounding my arms out. So I, I form this circle in front of me. You see it conceptually all around from the infinite amount of angles that you can actually experience things from. When you are able to develop that, that's what people are going to be looking for whenever it comes time for you to be hired for a job. If you can think outside of linear, not even outside of, a, of, of the box, but in a whole new realm of thinking, even saying I think outside the box is very linear. It's because it's assuming that there was a box to begin with. There's a linear way of seeing an issue, and then there's a conceptual way of seeing it. If you can bring conceptual out, if you can read my book, develop a growth mindset, cultivate courage in your life, be decisive when you make decisions and don't second guess yourself, take action on those decisions right off the bat, start moving forward, embracing discipline by setting up a new routine around this activity that you've decided you were going to do, right? Embracing discipline and understanding the why that you're doing something will push you through no matter how difficult the challenge. When you exercise flexibility, principle number six, you realize that you know, while uh, planning, planning is pri- plans, let's hold on, planning is priceless, plans are worthless. Right? You want to plan, but you, when you get into it, you want to realize that the, it's not going to go according to plan. But because you had a plan to begin with, you can begin to see how it's deviating rather than just reacting, you're now responding. And then embody tenaciousness. Show up and be the best version of yourself every single day. We're going to talk more about this. Please be on the lookout for the book. If you're interested in it, jump over to Amazon. Go over to my website, jessemogul.com. Search for me on social media at jessemogul or at College Success Habits. I am out there. It is not hard to find me. Inclusivity over exclusivity. The power of positive energy, release, and flow. See you again next week. Bye-bye.